You're listening to the Revenue Growth Architects Podcast, presented by CS2. I'm your host, Xander Broffel, Director of Marketing Operations at CS2. And joining me today is Jarrell Allen and Ruben Rangel, two of CS2's most experienced campaign ops folks. We are going to be discussing the do's and the don'ts of campaign execution and operations so that you can scale your campaigns like never before. Let's take a look. Jarrell, what is the biggest pain point that clients face when it comes to marketing op or campaign operations? Uh, I would have to say an undeveloped process, not having a defined structure in place to sustain quality output or efficiently support cross-team collaboration. Um, it's like carte blanche sometimes in there, man, and you know the pains are, are really felt from it. I totally agree with that. And another thing that really helps bolster a good process is documentation. Um, it's super essential that there's a universal source of truth when it comes to how processes are being implemented and especially impactful if you're introducing anyone new to the process or if someone leaves and they're taking that knowledge with them, you want to make sure that that knowledge stays within the team. Hey guys, welcome. Thank you so much for joining the podcast today. I am really excited for this topic. Campaign execution. How are things going? Going great. Pretty good. Busy. <laughs> Very busy. Very busy. We are working with some similar clients on some of the same accounts. And I know that the work that you guys are doing is really great. So thank you for giving us some time today. Hey, before we jump in, um, I believe that this is one of the first podcasts that you guys have done solo, um, or it's been a while. So it would be awesome if, you know, let's start with Jarrell and then and then Ruben, you can also give like a quick spiel of, you know, how did you get into marketing operations? And then how did you get into CS2? Yeah, this is uh this is definitely my first podcast. So, you know, shout out to CS2. Uh I'm Jarrell Allen, the director of campaign operations. Um I've been with CS2 since 2019. Um and has had actually had the pleasure of working with them as trusted support on my MOPS team years prior to even joining. So um uh, so great to see and be part of the growth happening here. Um I began my career right out of graduate school doing field marketing. Um, and quite a bit of organizational change took place uh, years after, you know, at that company that forced me to adapt a bit and be open to new opportunities, which led me to accept, uh, and, you know, a, a push into marketing ops at the time, which was uh, pretty intimidating. Um, and the marketing ops at the time wasn't nearly what it is today as far as recognition um, and resources available to learn more about roles and responsibilities and um, it's just developed so much, um, but slowly but surely, um, I got my bearings and here I am eight years later, still in MOPS, but owning the campaign operations side of the house, uh, managing things like end-to-end -end execution, process development and refinement, training and enablement, um, as well as uh, program optimization. So our team is pretty in heavily involved in the day-to-day -day grind uh, with marketing efforts. Jarrell, thank you for that intro. Fantastic. Eight years with CS2. Um, I know I lean on your, uh, you know, historical knowledge of our clients and how we do things. Um, and quite frankly, just the experience that you have in campaign ops. I'm asking you like, hey, how should we build out this program template if we're doing a new implementation or have you faced this struggle before? And you've always been really great to help out. So I'm excited to have you on the podcast today. Ruben, how about you? 
how did you get involved in marketing operations? Um, and specifically, how did you uh, get involved with CS2? Yeah, I've been with CS2 for just under two years. And prior to that, I was a freelancer in marketing in the marketing space. And that was a journey that actually took place over the course of the last six or seven years. And uh, my academic background is in journalism. So as a writer, I discovered this thing called content marketing, which was incredibly fascinating to me at the time. And from there, I learned about you know inbound marketing, uh, SEO, social media marketing, email marketing, and, and the entire digital marketing ecosystem. So I immediately wanted to apply that, got my feet wet as a consultant, all the while developing a career in uh, B2B SaaS as a technical support and technical documentation person. I also worked in communication roles in a few different companies, but obviously I wanted to keep that marketing dream alive and focus on that full time, eventually um, settling in, in the uh, consulting space for service providers in real estate and in uh, fitness, which are two of my, you know, two things that I'm interested in. Um, naturally, at that point, I began to look at the bigger picture of how do we deliver marketing objectives for the small business as it grows. Little did I know at that time I was focusing on people, processes and technology. Um, at that point, I wanted to dive deeper. So I discovered highway education, which I think some of us may may be familiar with, which is basically a uh, first of its kind marketing ops boot camp. Went through that program. I had the amazing opportunity to meet Christy Saunders and Charlie Saunders. And, you know, uh, at that point, I joined the team. So the rest is history. That's really cool. I, I find it fascinating that you kind of have that, that writing background and the content marketing yeah. background. Um, I feel like maybe a lot. I don't know. I feel like a lot of MOPS people that I talk to are like, I don't want to think about the words, right? Like, let me just build out the programs. But it's cool that we have you in this role where like, you can think about the words and you can think about like the grammar and does it, does it sound right? And being in MOPS, we're like the last line of defense before it comes out, right? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you it know, shows too. He... <laughs> sorry, oh, sorry I was going to say it shows too. He, he... Ruben can definitely write. <laughs> For sure. He's what a huge man. skill to have. That's awesome. Good, yeah, good. Well, hey, welcome both of you. Thank you for introducing yourselves to the audience. I really, uh, I know that it's, it's like, okay, we're we're now in it. We're now in it to win it. Um, today, what we're talking about is campaign operations. So to to start us off with. Um, what I want to focus on is like some of the key components of a best in class campaign operations process. So Jarrell, can you kick us off just like at a high level? What are some of those, some of those key processes that you need to have in place? Um, yeah, well, uh, project manage management, having a project management tool in place, um, a well-defined request process, uh, training and enablement documentation is key. Um, can't say that enough. Um, having an optimized, you know, map, you know, to where, where your assets optimize within your marketing automation platform. Um, and then having some reporting structure, uh, you know, included inside of your process to to analyze, you know, um, all of your data and improve upon that. Um, and then one other thing that is kind of a bit of a part of the process, but I feel like it's key is having meetings and check-ins with key stakeholders and teams so that they have buy-in and that you have feedback 
on how well that process is actually working. That's fantastic. So at a very high level, that's what we're going to be digging into today. Um, Ruben, could you like, like, why is a project management tool so important? Why can't we just solve all of this via email and Slack? We have so many ways to communicate. Right. And I think that's, that's case in point, right? Because ultimately we do have so many ways to communicate. And a lot of us now are working in a asynchronous environment, you know, working from home, maybe a little bit of a hybrid environment, and that's going to depend based on the team. Um, what's also going to be, depend uh, based on the team or your company is what tools you're using, right? What marketing automation platform you're using, um, what project management tool you're using. And overall, you want to create a universal source of truth to what's going on. How are we managing our timeline? You know, how are we keeping track of progress? Um, how are we sharing assets? How are we following up? checking in, asking questions. Now we can do this over Zoom. We can do this over Slack. We can do this over email. But usually when it comes to developing a campaign, there's multiple players involved, right? This can be anyone from a copywriter to someone doing the graphics for any of the assets to a developer working on the landing page. Um, if you're uh, doing a self-serve model, you want to interact with those folks and make sure you have what you need to plug that in and build out that campaign in your automation platform. Um, if you're working in a specific, you know, dedicated campaign services team, campaign execution team, or an agency, you need to be factored into that process as well, right? And with all these balls in the air and relatively tighter timelines, you want to make sure that you're following up and communicating in a way that everyone has access to, right? So it's super important to have that all consolidated within a project management tool. And in doing so, you're also going to make sure that you're adhering to other best practices. Yeah, that's, fan yeah, that's fantastic. And do you find that like, I know in some of my previous roles, like ops was the only one using the project management tool and all of the other marketing teams had to kind of like insert themselves. Do you find that it's better if, if all of the marketing team is using the project management tool? Do you find that it doesn't matter as long as the ops team is using a project management tool? What do you think there? Yeah, I think it can, it can really depend on, on the team, right? Um, because, you know, marketing operations has to communicate around the specifics as to what it's doing, but also sometimes we don't, right? Sometimes we don't always want to overburden other people, you know, the people that we're working with, other you know, stakeholders, other teams with the level of technical, technical information or processes that we're working on. But at the same time, we want to be able to share information and receive information. So we can kind of follow, um, you know, follow the other teams where they're communicating. And if that works, that's something that's going to you know, be determined internally. But what I find usually is if everyone's communicating at the same place, we can be sure that we're aware of what we're speaking about and we're aware of what we need to track. Um, so I think it is one of those times where it will depend on the, on the organization and the structure. Um, and you know, saying it depends is something that we tend to say a lot here at CS2. But I know it's, it's not because we embrace ambiguity but it's really because it depends on the team and it's something that, you know, we have firsthand experience with 
because we work with multiple teams on a day-to-day -day basis. But uh, what I find works best is having everybody channeling their communication to the same tool, or at least that information finding its way there at the end of the day. Fantastic. Jarrell, did you have anything else to, to add there? No, I just, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I, I totally agree. And I, I definitely think it's beneficial for all teams to, to, to use one tool just because of just the flow of information is all within one central place. And with tools like, you know, Asana and, you know, I'm sure other tools too, you have different projects, right? Where everybody can go about their own business, but if you need to pull in other teammates from different departments or whatever, you can kind of just, you know, mention them or just maybe add them as a member to your board or, you know, so it's definitely beneficial versus, you know, maybe having to loop in people via email or Slack. Um, so it, it definitely has its, um, its, its perks to everybody using the, the same tool for sure. Absolutely. For sure. For sure. Um, you know, going hand in hand with a project management tool is a request process. Jarrell, yes. talk to me about that. What have you seen to work really well when it comes to, you know, inbound requests? Yeah. So yeah, the project management tool flows nicely right into this, this, this point here, having a well-defined request process uh, in place. Um, and some critical elements of like your process that would be key to keeping it in shape or intake forms, um, campaign briefs, uh, SLAs. Those are just like my top three uh, or our top three uh, amongst other things too. Um, but with intake forms, um, this should be available to create within your project management tool. And if not, um, at minimum using like Google forms will suffice as well with like all submissions, details are added to a G sheet. We've actually done that before with a couple of clients uh, before they actually uh, obtain the project management tool. Um, so having an intake form, it, it helps to eliminate the chaos uh, with gathering the who, what, when, and how criteria needed to execute on marketing tactics. Uh, and there's also even middleware out there, such as like Zapier, Workado, Chetto, uh, which we've seen in action uh, as well, um, that will even auto-create programs in Marketo based on like intake form details that you can set within the tool. So that could be an option as well. Um, on the campaign brief, so having a campaign brief template um, is a key resource to providing that who, what, when, and how that I just mentioned previously with the intake forms. Um, it should always be included upon every submission, even if the details aren't finalized. Um, and it gives the ops team context and insight into like the level of, of effort. So this is key um, versus just saying, hey, I need a request, you know, here are the details, date, you know, number of emails, like, hey, we need we need everything that we need to work with. You know, let us let us see the at least the the outline of what you're trying to do. Um, so campaign briefs are important. And then having some type of governance around that, like setting SLAs are essential um, just for a collective understanding um, and agreement on time needed um, and expected to properly execute on requests. And, and this could often be different depending on types. Right. So email sends versus list imports, you know, email sends could take three to four days, list imports, you probably want to upload within 24 hours. So sales could follow up the next day. Um, so those are the, those are the key pieces that must be in place in order for at minimum for it to, you know, a process to really just run smoothly. And that's, and that's critical, right? It's, it's a give and take when you start thinking about SLAs, um, 
you know, we're all busy. And oftentimes the operations team is the one that gets something late in the process, right? Oh, I've been thinking about this email for three months and I need it tomorrow. So if you can set those expectations with those SLAs, at least that buys you a little bit of time. Um, I know with some of the clients that we've been working with on list uploads, it's like, yeah, we can do it within 24 hours, but we need to know about it within a certain period of time. Because then you just block off the time in your week and you know I have a list upload, so it's not going to be a surprise. But if it was a surprise and you need it in 24 hours, that can be very detrimental. For sure. For sure, for sure. Um, so we've got project management. We have the the well-defined request process. I know we've been talking a lot about this on the podcast, um, but it's important, especially on the campaign ops side, and that is uh, training and enablement. Ruben, just... Think of like some specific things with campaign ops, because we didn't go into a lot of detail there. What do you think is really good from a training and enablement perspective? Yeah, you know, when we look at campaign operations, I think it's important to think about, well, are we talking about campaign operations or campaign execution? Um, Sometimes it's just semantics and sometimes it's different. Um, When it comes to campaign execution, sometimes that's plugging away into the marketing automation platform and building that campaign out. Um, But when you're talking about operational processes, we, you know, that underlines everything Jarrell just spoke to. Um, so when it comes to training, you want to make sure that you're training the team on both sides. How does the campaign services or campaign execution team work with marketing operations and marketing at large, vice versa, right? So you want to have that process developed and you want to train people to use that process so that information can be streamlined and practical as possible. Um, but also when it comes to the nitty gritty of getting into the tool, you want to make sure that your team has that, that knowledge as well. And I always think that of course, when you're doing campaigns, not everybody's going to need all the permissions or access to everything within your automation platform, Mm -hmm. but the more knowledge that a person has around things like, well, how do you, how do you troubleshoot something? How do you investigate if something is coming is looks off? You want to double check that you make sure that's correct. Right. Um, so investigating, troubleshooting, these are things that I think can sometimes get overlooked, if you, even if you do have a really well-developed process. Because when people adhere to a process, everything goes smoothly until it doesn't, right? And you want to even yeah. train for those exceptions by making sure that extra knowledge is there. So I would say that those are two other core points of training, specifically when it comes to uh, camping operations side. Fantastic. Yes. Um, and then Jarrell for documentation. Again, uh, we've talked a lot about documentation, but you know, what's needed there? Documentation, documentation, documentation. Um, <laughs> <laughs> man, this is, this is critical, especially when, you know, trying to build a center of excellence, right? You know, MOPS is kind of, that's kind of what we do is try to build that center of excellence for um, the rest of the organization, or we are that, you know, um, and we know it's one of the toughest things to stop and do, <laughs> you know, but it bears fruits uh, later. Um, so these are the docs, such as like your copy templates for your email uh, and landing pages, uh, which could also be a part of that briefing doc. Um, and then your naming convention guys, your URL and UTM builders, list import templates, um, QA checklists, etc. Um, it can even take form of, you know, uh, recorded videos like we use Loom a lot um, for our documentation. Um, pretty religiously, and it's like you know, it can be a great substitute um, for like screenshots when you're when you're documenting things. So, 
um, being thorough in your documentation, making sure to if you can't if you if you can't along the process of actually working through projects, stop and document things, carve out that time um, within the week or something, dedicated time to just go back and just document things. Um, that way it doesn't get lost uh, later on and you're having to think back like, how did I do this? And, you know, and, and, and we've seen that happen too. There's been like documentation started and there's been like so many big gaps. And when we come in to kind of help support, we have to kind of fill in those gaps. So it can be tough. Um, and in the, in the meantime, and before we actually come on board to actually support um, for other team members that are trying to fill in the gap of the uh, that person who is no longer there, um, it can be tough as well to try to like follow um, a process. So documentation is everything. And, and, and we talk about it, like start projects with documentation when it comes to campaign execution. Like if you're doing that enablement and training, um, save yourself the time, like build a quick reference guide and then build your training around that. So that way everybody's coming away with a deliverable that they can lean on, but you've given them the training and you've walked through the process at least once or twice, maybe with a recording. So now they have so many different ways to kind of retain that information, right? Mm -hmm. For sure. Um, okay. So we talked about this, this category of optimized map assets. Ruben, what does that mean? Optimized map assets. Right. And this does coincide a lot with documentation. Um, so if we think about documentation as being kind of a roadmap of our processes, you still need to get those processes started and start building things out in, in, in within the map. Right. So a lot of times these tools give you a lot of ways to do things, which is marvelous because you have the opportunity to develop processes in a way that works for your team and for your campaigns. But because there's that room, sometimes some folks like to go and just plug away and build things out in a way that maybe makes sense at the time, um, or maybe it does make sense, but it's slightly different than how things are usually done. Um, and I think essentially you want to make sure there's no outliers. You want to make sure that your process is adhering to documentation and adhering to agreed upon processes. And the one way to do that is with optimized map assets, right? So for example, in Marketo program templates are key in HubSpot you have all of your assets spread across different areas of the map. Having a, a kind of a, a uh, again, a source of truth for how, what those should look like and how you should use those is, is essential. Um, because ultimately these templatized assets can serve as a model of what the core building blocks should look like when you're creating a campaign. So that takes a lot of the guesswork out of it. And when it works hand in hand with documentation, it really begins to scale and things become much more streamlined and efficient in that way. So um, I like to think of it sometimes as live documentation. So even if you're like, oh man, I'm not really sure what this request is 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 looking like, or maybe you're, you're building out your own program and you're like, I did this one way last time. How do I do that again? I haven't had to build this type of program or this type of campaign out in a while. And then you find this templatized assets and they're like, oh, you know what? Now it starts to click. And once I start plugging into that and building into that, 
everything kind of comes back and the documentation makes a little bit more sense. So I like to think yeah. of it as a little bit of, as a uh, live documentation as well. Yeah. And, uh, and within the, the marketing automation platform, like a lot of these have d places for descriptions and things like that. So I always, I, I also say that when you're building out those templates, filling out the doc, the, the description on like, what should somebody be doing? If they're supposed to update tokens, tell them in the doc, in the description, that way they, they have true. it right there in the system. Right. Mm -hmm. Very true. That's, that's actually one feature in Marketo that I think is used the least and it's very beneficial because we actually do it with one client to where we, um, they have like, like you can at least add like, um, a link to your Jira ticket or your Asana ticket, wherever, whatever project management tool you're using, um, you can add that link in the description. So whenever you're going back to that program, like how, what was, what were the specifics around this program? Like who set this up? There's a link in the description that links to the task and Asana. You can see everything, the whole, exactly. So, yeah. uh, I mean, you mentioning that is like great. And I don't think we actually preach that enough of uh, using the description or encourage it to be used enough. All right. So we are talking, there's, there's many different ways that we can uh, set up documentation to work well for us. Uh, I think that, you know, definitely a great tip there. Um, but when it comes down to the team, Jarrell, what's the, what's the approach that you find that works well, uh, when it comes to like roles and responsibilities? Um, so first off, just defining roles and responsibility are just, is, is, is key, um, to avoid, as they say, uh, the too, too many cooks in the kitchen, um, especially with regard to like level of access to like your marketing automation platform and CRMs. Um, so like having it defined, like what is the ops team responsible for and what are marketing uh, owners responsible both inside and outside of systems um, and setting like the user permissions accordingly within the systems are, are key. Um, and this will be, you know, based on whether you have a process that is centralized versus decentralized. So obviously if it's a centralized process, MOPS owns everything, you know, they're controlling everything. They're working through all of the processes from end to end and just sending back to the owners for approval. Um, with a decentralized process, they tend to have more flexibility and you kind of share a bit of that ownership uh, with the marketing team to where they can go in and kind of self-serve uh, to maybe scale a bit more. Uh, but setting permissions is key because, you know, something like Marketo, you can press the wrong button or people tend to run a little, a little road and um, try to do things uh, outside of process. But for the most part, it, it's, it's pretty beneficial because it allows the marketing team members to uh, understand how we work in MOPS and the tool that we use and understand their tool as well that supports them. Um, and like the, the lift of their, you know, their different uh, requests and how long it takes so they can kind of get a better understanding of that as a whole. So, um, you know, setting those right permissions and like, you know, definitely keeping admin to mops, you know, and just having more like, you know, maybe edit, um, edit right starting off um, for email so that they can learn how to build their own emails out. Um, and then you may have those power users later that maybe show uh, that they're capable of doing a bit more. Um, you still have that boundary, but maybe you allow them to schedule their own emails, you know, maybe build those lists. Um, so I think it depends, um, for sure, but having those roles, uh, and responsibilities define like who, 
who do we send back for QA, you know, at this stage? Um, you know, the, all of those different touch points, um, who's responsible for that within the process is, is, is very important um, to have that outlined and shared across the team so everybody's aware. Yeah, thank you so much for, for, for talking through uh, decentralized versus centralized processes. Is there one way that we recommend? I don't, I think I know the answer here, but I wanted to throw it out there. Is there a recommended uh, approach to centralized versus decentralized? I, I wish your sign was showing in the back. It depends. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, I would say centralized. I mean, it, because oh yeah, it it depends. Because if if your marketing team is outgrowing your mops team, it may be better to decentralize. You know, um, because if you have like two mops people supporting fifteen different marketers, like that's not going to work. Like that's total burnout. And I don't, that's only going to lead to destruction, <laughs> imploding, as I like to say. Um, so I would say where it makes sense, if you have a small and like, you know, nimble team, um, you know, centralized is the place to, to go as you're building your, you know, like a new startup, you're building your company, you're trying to hit the ground running. Um, and as you grow, you may want to think about, you know, decentralizing that and kind of offering um, or sharing that responsibility with marketing owners. And, and, you know, where a lot of teams may find it is, is specific things. You talked about emails, like nothing's worse than going back and forth seven and eight times just to add a comma and a, you know, a line break. Right. So giving the ability for stakeholders to own things that make sense for them is great because on the flip side, like if I was a marketer and I didn't and I wasn't into marketing ops, like going into Marketo and building a program and even cloning something that already exists would be like, listen, I'm a field marketer. I want to, I want to mm -hmm. manage my programs in the field. Like there's a team that can manage this. So it is important to figure out like, what can you do to remove barriers while still giving responsibilities to the folks that that is their skill and that is their passion. Um, and maybe it's supplementing it with an outside service. Maybe it's, maybe it is bringing in an, an an agency to help support, um, you know, that team of one or two um, mm -hmm. who may need to be able to support the team of 15 or 20. Yeah. Great. Um, two topics that I think uh, do not get talked about enough, and that is reporting and then meetings and check-ins. Um, so, so let's start with, with Ruben. What kind of reports do you recommend people kind of dig into, especially when it comes to campaign ops? Yeah, well, I think there there should always be a report for for everything if it's if it makes sense, right? So if you're doing email sends, um, dig into that email send. If you're doing a campaign with multiple email sends, dig into those as a batch, right? Um, so you want to make sure that what you're tracking is facilitating any additional improvements, right? So if you are doing email sense, dig into AB split tests, right? Um, and some of these tests are gonna be different. You know, we, I'm often in Marketo. So I do like to see an AB split test, uh, champion challenger test, if you're looking at specific emails, right? If you're looking at overall programs, right? Looking at engagement is important. Um, and, you know, on the other side as well, uh, diving into Salesforce and looking at 
the entire life cycle and seeing how your campaigns are focusing on the big picture is super important as well. That's awesome. Um, and, and, and we, we were just dealing with something today where, um, you know, an email send that was supposed to go out to thousands of people went out to hundreds of people, um, because they happened to just run into email com limits that were set up <laughs> into the system. So doing those things very frequently, um, you know, making that a part of your process is key and just having those, those reports set up ahead of time kind of frees up your process. So you can say, I expect an email to go out at 10 at 12. I'm going to check and see how many delivered that way. If something goes wrong, you're aware of it ahead of time. And we're not waiting, you know, three days after the fact of like, why didn't those emails go out, which I have totally done in the past. Um, so, you know, those, Same. those reports are great for improving over time, AB challenger testing. Um, but it, it's also great to just be like, did the thing happen that I expected to happen? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And one, and one other, uh, report just to throw in the mix there, which is more specific to Marketo is, um, which is not used as, as much as I used to see. Um, and maybe just not many people, um, really probably realize it's still there, uh, or there at all is a, a, an email, email link performance report. Um, which is, I mean, is, is great because you're able to actually see how your links are performing you know overall yes an email performance report you're able to see the metrics how many people open um, the click to open rate your, your your general metrics but a link performance actually allows you to see how many clicks you've had on a certain link unique clicks you've had on a certain link um and then you can kind of like pull up maybe an email visual of that same email see where those links are placed in the document like, you know, should we change up the placement? You know, are there too many emails? You know, is this email too low, you know, um, in the newsletter or something or whatever? You know, you, you're able to, to kind of monitor and analyze um, how, how your links and placement um, is within emails and then adjust um, for, you know, future emails. Um, so, I, I mean, I, I, I wish that was used more and I know, um, you know, that's that's definitely something we can definitely push um, on on clients to to, you know, uh, start using and leverage more as well. And we can leverage in our own reporting for them. But yeah, um, one thing I definitely want to throw in the mix was how beneficial link performances are that just, you know, I kind of slept on these days. And, and if you can separate those links out, if you have the same CTA, but maybe it's like maybe you have one at the top and then one at the bottom, like if you can separate those out utilizing like UTM content in your in your links. That way you can differentiate, is this my above the fold, below the mm -hmm. fold? Is it a plain exactly. text link versus a button link? Like you can get very methodical and really start to improve those conversions. Over right. And kind of have your own like heat mapping, if yeah. you will. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah. Very cool. Um, last topic for us before we, we start to wrap up. Um, Jarrell. We have a lot of people that we're working with. How do we stay aligned? We've got the project management solution in place for asynchronous work. What about meetings? What about check-ins? What, you know, what does good look like there? So meetings and check-ins are important. Um, and I will always uh, preach that this should be sought as part of the process, maybe not as, you know, from a day-to-day -day aspect of the process, but, um, having some type of cadence established with key stakeholders uh, with whom the, the process supports, you know, uh, primarily supports is, is, is key so that everyone's aligned 
Um, it allows open feedback and input into the process, you know, so you're able to 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 tailor that approach more um, and, it, and it becomes more cohesive. And then the team, there's more team buy-in. If they feel that they can um, give feedback and their opinions on what's working and what's not working with the process, they feel more connected to it. Um, and they, you know, subconsciously or genuinely want to like, you know, be a part of that process, follow that process. But if it's just more of like prescriptive, like, hey, this is the process you guys need to do it, fall in line. Like, it doesn't always get everybody to to kind of, you know, um, align to things. So, um, you know, having that meeting cadence and not just for, you know, obviously around process, but for check-ins too, to see how things are going. Um, what is the, what is the, uh, this week's upcoming volume look like, or what is next week's volume look like, you know, things coming in the funnel. What are, what are the, um, the bottlenecks, any issues, like things that you can bubble up, um, within those meetings and kind of, uh, discuss and, and hash out and maybe, you know, even um, restructure things if, if you need to. But um, overall, having some type of cadence, uh, I would say on a weekly basis, um, yeah, more than once a week, I would probably say it's too much unless it's like maybe needed on a special occasion. But having some type of weekly cadence is like the best. Um, and if you decide that it's not needed, then you just skip it. But having that in everybody's calendars as like a you know a, a central meeting point every week um is is definitely important for all teams um to stay aligned and stay in the know yeah absolutely and it's that time to to improve get the feedback if you're not having communication with your stakeholders it's harder to inspire any change if all that you're doing is meeting when there's a problem and you're not necessarily meeting when when things are just going well um, you know, that's how you build those long-term relationships with your stakeholders as well. Well, guys, thank you so much for joining today. Just to recap what we talked about, um, key components of a best in class campaign ops process, you know, it depends how you set it up. If you're centralized, decentralized, if you're using a certain marketing automation platform, if you're using a certain project management platform, there's a lot of key things that are going to be unique to your business. But some of the things that, uh, that transfer very universally, having a project management tool that all of this work is consolidated in with a well-defined request process. You've got your campaign briefs, you have your uh, built into the project, a, a request form, and you have clearly defined and measured SLAs, both for your stakeholders and for your team. So that way everybody's aligned, it's gonna be fantastic. Documentation, training, enablement, all of these things go together. Um, and these things are supported by having optimized assets within your marketing automation platform. Things that we commonly are going to recommend, having program templates, having the right landing page and email templates. We didn't go into great detail there, but it, 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 those all go hand in hand. Um, making sure that your team knows who's responsible for what and who do I go to for you know specific requests is going to be key. And finally, just wrapping that up, you have good reporting that you are looking at on a regular basis to make improvements. Um, and you're checking in with your teams regularly to keep everybody on the same page. Guys, anything that I missed there? No, nailed it. Excellent. That's it. <laughs> That's it. That's all that you need. And then you're going to have a best in class campaign ops team. Now, 
What we didn't talk about today is how do you scale that? How do you maintain that? What are some of the skills that you need to be building in your campaign ops team um, along with the outside stakeholders? So Jarrell, Ruben, hopefully uh, you guys would be up for joining us again on the podcast for a follow-up conversation. I think that there's a lot that we can kind of dig into here. Yeah, for sure. I would love to. Thanks for having us. Excellent. Thank you for tuning in to the Revenue Growth Architects podcast presented by CS2. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review. We greatly appreciate your support. We'll see you on the next episode.